Hey folks, welcome back to the official PlayStation podcast with a P, please. Uh, I'm your host, Sid Schumann. I'm here with Brett Elston. Hello, Brett. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just just fantastic <laughs> over here. You should see it. Top quality. Top <laughs> quality. All right. Well, uh, we've all had a little bit of rest and recuperation from the big day last week. Uh, just think, that was about a week ago, and it I, it feels like at least six to eight months ago. If I if I had to if I had to confess, yeah, I feel like I went through two or three birthdays since then because uh, it was it was a roller coaster <laughs> ride. Uh, at the moment, uh, all the big news came out uh, the PS5 showcase uh, a week ago. Yeah, it was just off to the races with we could finally like giant exhale and and talk about so many new things, and then you blink and now it's been seven eight days. Uh, but we do have a cool little show. It's just Brett and I today keeping you company. Uh, a lot of action back here at. PlayStation headquarters as we work on various initiatives and things. Uh, but yeah, we have some 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 stuff for you today. We're going to share a couple new releases that are coming to PlayStation Store for next week. Uh, going to talk about a little of The Last of Us Part 2. I'll confess, we're going to go there. You're going to hear my unvarnished thoughts about... Uh, I'm like, wow, I'm like 20 hours in or something now. Oh, wow. I've been playing quite a bit of it. Um, you know, we're going to touch on some of that. There'll be some discussions. We're going to talk about some of our favorite games coming out of the PS5 blowout last week. Uh, I think those should all be pretty predictable. I mean, I thought it was like a really good lineup overall. I, I would play any and all of those games. Uh, yeah, I, I, each one of them. I, I kind of had a mental wish list going in of, <laughs> you know, been been working in games for like it's man, it's getting it's closer to twenty years than it is fifteen, which is <laughs> disgusting. Uh, and also, you know, it's rewarding and and that's amazing. But it's also like, man, I'm getting old. Uh, but <laughs> going in, it's just like, oh, you know, hmm, what haven't we heard from in a while? And what what have I always wanted? And what would I want to see? And I, I, a few of my predictions were right. And as the, as they unfolded, I'm just like I. I, I did not expect to see that for real. It was like a, a hope um, for one, the Demon Souls remake. That was one that I was oh, like, yeah. I hope, I hope, I hope. Uh, do not know for a fact, have no actual information, but it's just yep. I feel the air that it is time and this is such a good time. And then lo and behold, here we are. Indeed. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. So we'll kind of run through some of those. Uh, got a quick touch base uh from the gang who worked on Disintegration. That's the new game that came out recently on PS4. Uh, so Tim and Brett, they uh, talked to Marcus Leto about the game. So we'll hear a little bit from that at the close of the show. Uh, and and if I'm honest, that's that's the show. So um, I think it's pretty good stuff. I, I like to think it's, it's, it's good material. I mean, you know, you got your The Last of Us Part Two. You got your PS5. I mean, what more do you need? That's quite uh, a bit. Yeah. So why don't we kick it off here? Um, I want to talk about what's coming next week to PlayStation store. And Brett, there's one here that I know you are very excited for. Yeah. Coming out next week, uh, star Wars episode one racer, which, um, the aforementioned 20 years ago, uh, how long have I been doing this? Um, this is definitely like a game you played back in the day, right? Definitely. Like I entered the workforce. (laughs) (laughs) 
man, they're coming to bust me on my bad takes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, this is the reality of uh, life these days. But uh, what can I He's say? He's talking about another platform. Get him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, back in 1999, uh, Star Wars Episode One Racer released on uh, another platform. And it was a great, you know, it was Episode One releasing and uh, Star Wars was back. And I had just entered the workforce, graduating high school and all that. So this it really is a very, very specific moment in time. But to play pod racing and, you know, screaming across the ground uh, in, in the pod racers in those days was already pretty cool. And then it's evolved since then in other iterations of pod racing games throughout the years. But um, to be able to go back to this original and it's been, you know, remastered and looks all nice and pretty for today. Um, I, I'm very excited for I, I just there's something about the simplicity of just a solid Star Wars racing game and yeah. uh, have not revisited this and probably I mean close to probably 15 years since the last time I, you know, absentmindedly popped a cartridge in somewhere and played it. But um very excited to just have this, you know, on my PS4, ready to fire up any time, pick Sebulba, whoever we got, give me Anakin, <laughs> Quadranero, and all my, all my favorites. They're all here. Quadranero, my goodness. Um, hopefully that's was that the mean, was that the Was that the mean guy from the, uh, like, the bad guy in the movie? Uh, that's Sebulba. Oh, okay, got it. Okay, please, you well, don't know your pod racers. Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I got con- <laughs> to confess, I don't. And maybe um, we'll yeah, see. Looking- uh, uh, maybe we'll see a remaster, a remake of uh, Masters of uh, Terra Kai, or whatever. However, the hell you say oh, that. Yeah, name. I mean, Stranger Things have happened. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that they made a reference to that on the Mandalorian, though. I don't know if you watched that, but there's. Oh, a- I did, but I must have missed that. Oh, was it Mandalorian or was it Solo? I think it was Solo. Sorry, it was Solo, which I thought oh, was I- solid. Yeah, I never saw it. You should see both of them. Hmm. See it all. <laughs> um, yeah, it was solo for sure. Uh, okay, well, Star Wars Episode One Racers coming to PlayStation Store next week. So look forward to that. Uh, and now we'll touch on some recent headlines in the PlayStation Galaxy. Um, and I'm just going to greedily go straight for uh, The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, it is available now 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 on playstation 4 um um, the first game is one of i'm just cracking you up here today i'm glad to hear it glad to hear the laughter i just want to hear that taken out as a soundbite for like a a sound (laughs) sound effect board (laughs) i've been wanting to do like a soundboard for a long time i think it would be fun uh, I don't know if such things exist in the podcasting world, but they certainly they, should. They do. And years ago, uh, I had many random sound bites of mine turned into the Brett bot, where if I missed a show, they would just push buttons as if I was there. <laughs> um, and I was like, it's, it's I, that kind of it's that kind of levity, I think, that we need here on official PlayStation podcast. But I digress. Uh, we'll get to the soundboard someday. Um, it's been 10 years. It can, you know, it can wait at least yeah. a couple years. You're 17. We'll, we'll get it. Yeah. Out. Uh, okay, The Last of Us Part Two uh, is out now on PlayStation consoles. I love the original game a whole bunch. And if you know me, you know that about me. I've played it probably four times, which is actually on the lower side for, for true fans. But, um, I mean, it's just such a magical game. I never Every time I played it, it got better, it got better. I, I thought it was absolutely breathtakingly brilliant the first time, and then I just appreciated it more. So it's been a long, hard uh confusing wait in some ways for the last of us part two and now that it's finally here i was i've been able to to get some time with it i'm probably about 
Ooh, I don't know. It's a big, beefy game. I guess spoiler alert, but I'm not going to get into any kind of story stuff. So if you're mm. if you're like Justin and you freak out at the slightest tiny bit of information about anything at all, uh, then maybe, you know, be extra careful. But I'm not going to like tell you any anything about uh, the game or the story or anything like that. But I'm approximately like maybe 20 hours in. So it is a big, beefy game uh, from what I can see. Um, and it's it's great. I mean, I don't know. It's not not a very interesting opinion. Uh, <laughs> graphics are spectacular on PS4 Pro. Uh, I am playing on a 4K TV. I'll point that out. Uh, a nice one. Um, but it's uh, it's a great looking game. I mean, they're doing some stuff. Naughty Dog's doing some crazy stuff with like facial animation and the performance capture. And it's it's uncanny. Like you're watching it and you almost feel like you're watching a really interesting looking TV show. You know, it's not, you know, it's it's almost photorealistic but it's still stylized a little bit so it's just Mm. got it's a it's a and the environments are spectacular it's really a densely detailed game um that just everything from the way a window breaks uh to the way water ripples and sort of foliage blows in the swampy breeze uh just looks fantastic i mean the sweat and perspiration and grime on the characters is palpable um, it's a phenomenal looking game. It's, it's a, got a great soundtrack as you'd expect. The, uh, voice cast does a terrific job. Um, you know, and the, and the combat has, uh, you know, been, you know, significantly f- refined from the first game. Uh, it's definitely still that more sort of grounded, realistic, gritty type of combat. Ammo is super scarce. Supplies are scarce. You have to do a lot with a little, which is, I love games like that. Hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of forgotten how, how strong of a stealth core there is to the last of us. It had been, it's been probably a good four or five years since I played the original, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, and I've always been partial to games like thief or um, deus ex. And I've never necessarily gone all the way into the very deepest side of the stealth pool, but um, it it has some elements that are uh, consistent with those games. And I forgot how fun that is. You're sort of crouch walking and stalking people from behind and, uh, taking them out with one fell swoop and that stuff's all really good the shooting's great um it feels like the weapons are just more realized there's there's more uh you can do with them um and just and, and it's just it's also fun to see what they didn't change uh, which is a lot um you're still picking up like spare parts to use to upgrade your weapons um <clears throat> supplements uh to, to mm. upgrade sort of your passive abilities um, it's just, it's more fleshed out. So there's just sort of more of that. There's a couple extra crafting materials that I don't remember from the original game. Uh, so there's a few extra things that you can craft, uh, that are actually really welcome. It's, it's not like, oh, you can craft 30 things or anything. They just kind of added in a few things that bolster, uh, kind of what's possible. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a really good game. I'm dying to see kind of where the story goes as I continue to play it. I'm definitely going to be tucking into that bad boy this weekend trying to wrap it up hopefully um although it's it's big it's a game you lose yourself in this Mm. isn't a this isn't a little sort of uh flash in the pan i mean it's something you sit down it's like a season of a tv show or something (laughs) um it's, it's very much how it feels actually and it's uh story's great writing's great characters are really interesting um and just very it's very arresting uh no matter how much you might resist it the Last of Us Part Two is going to captivate, so that's my review. Wow! Back to you, Brett. Uh, well, hard to, follow, <laughs> hard to follow all that. Um, 
But uh, I guess another uh, news and topics from the past week, um, you know, with there's some merch. Com- there's, yeah, there's uh, merch. yeah, so they announced some merch for Last of Us Part Two. If you go to the PlayStation Gear store, and I think uh, there's a blog up on PlayStation Blog uh, that goes through uh, some of those options for new merch. So give that a look. Was there anything yeah, as you were playing I, uh, that you were uh-huh. like, boy, I hope I get to wear a T-shirt with that on it? <laughs> Yeah, most of the things I couldn't say. <laughs> too gruesome, uh, not not appropriate for teens or tweens. Uh, so yeah, but it, it it is a it is a really good game. If you like The Last of Us, I mean, I don't, what do you listen to me for? I mean, if you like The Last of Us, you've had a pre order for months and you're ready to go and it's preloaded on the store and and you're you're already holding the controllers. You listen to this, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is. I mean, this is like this game is like an event. It's a moment. Um, it's been a long time. It's been. Here's a fun fact for you. The, the original The Last of Us, I always forget this, came out in only 2013, which is not that long ago. I mean, it's yeah. seven years ago, but it came out yeah. almost exactly uh, seven years ago. It was the same year PS4 launched, and, and it was like one of the final big PS3 games. Um, it really was the final big PS3 game, and what a game. And then there was a, a year later they did the uh, the remastered for uh, for PS4. So, yeah, I mean, if you've never some if you've somehow never played The Last of Us, well, I just don't know what to say. Hopefully you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber. A couple months ago, a few months ago, they had uh, well, like six months ago, they had uh, Last of Us was, yeah, you know, a few. Uh, the Last of Us was free on PlayStation Plus. So, if you know, maybe hopefully you redeemed it. Hopefully it's sitting there. Uh, pulsing in your game library ready to be played and if you haven't played it you should play it because it's uh i think one of the landmark achievements in uh the gaming sort of narrative driven gaming medium um and now we've got a second one so uh that's that's the last of us part two really cool can't wait to play more uh fascinating as always uh speaking yeah we had a little star wars talk earlier brett i'll let you take this next one uh, yeah, Monday of this week, um, Star Wars Squadrons was announced, um, which, you know, goes back to those of us who recall playing the, you know, X-Wing and TIE Fighter games from way back, uh, going back many years. But um, I love Flight Sims, like the Ace Combat series. I was even playing, I finished both of the Tom Clancy Hawks games from back in the day. Uh, wow, from that is somebody who is... That is somebody who is devoted. Did you play Ace Combat, whatever, on PSVR? Which one was that, uh, six? Seven, seven? seven has the VR mode, but I haven't done it yet, no. Um, I but did you, play the, the, did you play the flat mode on your television screen? Oh, uh, oh, I finished it. And wow. almost imme- I finished that sucker almost immediately. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's just a, a history of in my family of a, an interest, especially in naval aviation. So there's a lot of just planes that I'm like, oh, my favorites. Here we go. And then uh, and the, the soundtracks to those games are outrageous. Like they just they're insanely dense and rich and just go go crazy places. So wow. big fan of Ace Combat. But that also extends to. Uh, the the space equivalent, whether it's Wing Commander or back on PS One, Colony Wars was super into all those. Um, and Star Wars Squadrons looks to kind of pull from those where you'll be, you know, there's not a lot been shown just yet, uh, but you know, clearly showing with their key art and stuff, they showed a Tie Fighter piece of art and an X Wing piece of art, um, and ga- uh, you know, CG trailer that kind of shows both pilots doing this and that. So. Very excited to see more information about it, but it was announced uh, earlier this week and uh, for a release this fall, and um, definitely one I'm going to show up for on day one. I just anything involving vehicles and flying, like I, I'm there, and uh, you take that and then just wrap all of the just 
there's like a lizard brain part. And I think many of us that just the Star Wars sound effects, it like immediately lulls you in a, in a positive way where I don't know, like if it's just military sounds and, and bullets and explosions, that's one thing. But to hear like the Star Wars TIE fighter noises and the X and the X-Wing yeah. noises, like all those sound effects are just burned into my psyche at this point. So as I'm flying around hearing all those sound effects and hearing chatter, it's like, yes, this is this is as a kid with the game I would have wanted. You know, most folks would be like. I want to have a lightsaber game or I want to play as Darth Vader. And I'm like, I want to be in a tie fighter screaming across, blowing people up. Like that is, that is what I want. I want to anything involved, put me in a ship, let me go. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm very excited and I can't wait to see more of, uh, what they have to show, but Star Wars. Yeah, I, think this is, I think this is criterion too. And they did that, uh, uh, X-Wing Rogue One VR mission uh, as part of Battlefront 2 was on PSVR. Still one of the it's a short experience, but it's a really impressive experience. So Star Wars Squadrons good to see that that's coming to PS4 with uh, PSVR support. Uh, another one here, another game got announced is Port Royale 4. Um, a Some insight on PlayStation blog that I'm, I'm, I apologize for all the racket. Um, <laughs> woo! This is good radio. This is what you want. Um, you know, just a <laughs> breaking slice of news. Life here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, anyway, check out PlayStation Blog. Some updates on uh, Port Royale Four and how they do their key art and some cool insight from the devs. Another uh, on the PSVR front. This one I've been waiting for for quite a while. But Pistol Whip is coming to PlayStation VR on July 28th. This is good news. Uh, this game is a bit of a mashup of of a couple different sort of. Uh, go-to genres in VR, everything from sort of rhythm game to shooting. Um, you can play it as sort of a straight shooter in VR, but you can also kind of tap into the rhythm element of it, making it, mm. a, you know, one could say um, a bit of a, a mashup of Beat Saber and uh, perhaps your, uh, what's the uh, what's the one with the red crystal people in your smash? Super hot, of course. Super hot, yeah. Uh, sort of like Beat Saber meets Super Hot is how it's often sort of described. But it's got its own unique flavor. That's kind of the elevator pitch to uh, whet the appetite. Uh, but yeah, that's coming to PSVR finally July 28th. So good to see that. Um, I, let's talk PS5. I've had it, Brett. Enough with all this. Let's get to the, <laughs> I can tell you're bursting. To the main event. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let you talk for a bit. What was uh, your standout title? And I, I think I know what it's going to be. Uh, well, there's one I think that stood out for both of us, so I'll make sure uh, to give Indeed. you your your fair shake on this. But um, do you want me to go right into Demon Souls, or do you? Want yeah, to of course. <laughs> Why not? Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like I, I think like a lot of folks, I heard of Demon Souls when it came out. It got a lot of attention, and I, I, I think you dove into it sooner than I did. I, I skipped it entirely, and it was. Dark Souls 1 and then 2 and then Bloodborne all kind of like really getting me to the point where now I've got like my whole left arm is Bloodborne tattoos. So it's like a <laughs> really, it really got rewired. It really got me. And like, I think Bloodborne is an absolute masterpiece. And I think it's, oh, I yeah. think it's, I think it's the best story video games have ever told um, for many reasons. Wow. But, um, and anyone who knows would agree uh, but that's how you I tried that's to explain this to me one time. I gave you a ride somewhere and you were going on for like 45 <laughs> minutes about this story. And I was like, man, there's a story in that game, but it's like all densely layered in and there's it's the secrets and it's the power of to me. It is. the And, and I think Demon Souls is the same way. Uh, it's the power of the medium of video games and storytelling 
Um, there's the narrative approach that we talked about earlier, which is awesome and is very like like you said, it's it just you get caught up in the world and the characters and their plight and the, the mocap and it's it's a real thing that you're feeling. It's very emotional. And then there's to me there's this approach, which is you are in this crazy world with almost no explanation. And, and it's like, what if you were in the middle of this crazy scenario and had no information? And the only thing you get ever is only going to be bits and pieces. And then it, because of how video games are, where you're the director, you move the camera, you move your character, you pay attention to why items are where they are, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's just the way the story unfolds to me. It's uh, Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne. It's just, a, it's on another level. Um, and so, to see this remake come out, um, so many people kind of retroactively were like, crap, I probably should have played Demon's Souls, huh? And now it's like, well, now you're going to get one hell of a chance to, to play this incredible now looking you're going to get it. That's yeah, right. So I am I am definitely ready. But it sounded like you, you, you were in there earlier on the PS3 version. Yeah, I was. And, uh, you know, it was one of those games where it's funny to think back to Demon's Souls because... Um, there's a lot of famous stories about it, and it was a game where I, I was out of work uh, at that point. It was before I worked here at PlayStation. I was sitting in my tiny uh, uh, bedroom in my tiny apartment, and I didn't have a lot to do, so I was playing a lot of games, and I was playing uh, hot games of the moment like Borderlands 2 uh, and Bioshock 2. And mm. uh, But one of them that had emerged was... Um, this demon souls and it was winning like game of the year left and right. And I thought, and it was like sold out. You couldn't get it. So I finally said, I finally tracked down a copy. I got it. And I said, all right, I I, I have no idea what this game is, but based on pure reputation, I've got to play it. And it came with this thick strategy guide. I think that was the collector's edition. Um, And so I sit down and like, I'm, I'm looking at the, information and it's there's all these character classes and and i look it up online and they're saying i should be a royal i remember that was one of the things that that was like the you know how the dark soul games always had these uh you know you should be the pyromancer in dark souls and in dark souls 2 it's good to be i don't remember who it was in dark souls 2 but they they had that in demon souls and it was like being you know a royal i think it was or maybe it was a noble forget the name but I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing i mean it really is like going into like high level like trigonometry or something when you can barely count (laughs) And, and I'm wandering around and like you get wiped out, you know, and it's like, oh, OK. And, and I start playing again. And so there it, it was just this remarkable experience. I bet I put a good four to six hours into this game, this Demon Souls on PS3. And this was in, uh, you know, what was this, 2009? That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and this hadn't turned into a genre yet. And so I I didn't know. I was just like, what am I doing wrong? You know, like and and I finally got to the point where I died so much that I I I stumbled across across something uh, that a lot of people uh, actually do as like a speed running uh, type of play in these Souls like games. I just started running past everything. I was like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) And it was frustrating me like crazy because um, unlike Dark Souls and and Bloodborne to some extent, um, Demon Souls is more set up in terms of like levels, um, mm-hmm. so there it's just a different style. And there's like a hub world, and you can kind of trans transport to these different uh, levels once you kind of get to that uh, that point. And um, yeah, I so every time I die, I start over, and it started to make me insane. And I was like, this is this is a very strange game, um, th- and and. 
and I, the, the, the more I played it, uh, the more frustrated I got until I finally put it down and never went back to it. That's my big, that's my big shaggy dog <laughs> story about demon souls. Uh, and, and you know, it, it left kind of a bad taste in my mouth, but I could see there was something really strong kind of lurking under the surface. Um, and you know, the more that I had, I had gotten in deep enough to see that there were a huge number of systems at work. I could see that, you know, I actually, I think I made it to the hub world, um, somehow, um, and again, it was, it, it, it felt like, it felt like every second I was alive, it was one of the most exhilarating experiences I ever, ever had in a game, but I, I truly did not know what I was doing. Like I, I could mm-hmm. run around, I could clumsily cast some basic spells and heal. And that was about it. And I think I try. I, I think I went back and tried to do like the night and didn't have much more success. And I truly was like, who, what is the what is the audience for this game? I, I don't understand what this game's trying to be. Like, it's really hard. And, and this is always, this is similar to the story I actually tell about the original dark souls. So I ended up putting it down saying, I'm not smart enough to play this. I don't know what this game is all about, but it's sure not like I'm not up to it. And all, you know, years later, dark souls comes out and Nick Sutner was convinced, you know, and if you listen to old PlayStation broadcast episodes, he, he convinces me to try it. And I said, yeah, it's interesting. I never figured out Demon Souls. I start playing Dark, Dark Souls, very similar scenario. But then I start, at that point, game wikis and all these other resources are more available. And it's more of a mm-hmm. culture and a community built around it. So I start using them to help guide me. And Dark Souls, I never quite beat. I made a really bad call late in the game and I kind of got stuck um, although they have the remastered version out and I played a bit of it, but I haven't gotten, you know, back to where I left off one day, one day, uh, I need to take a gaming sabbatical at some point here, but, uh, dark souls was the one that made me say, okay, now I'm starting to get it. And actually for me, the one that made it click and I was able to get through it was dark souls Two. Um, hmm. if you're a souls series fan, it's a, perhaps a mildly controversial statement to make, but I stand by it. Um, because it's a great on-ramp into the IP. It has a great look. Um, I really like the art direction, the look of some of the environments and some of the enemies is really cool. And that one for me, it was the most accessible. Now it was still hard. Uh, did you play Dark Souls too? That's the one where if you killed an enemy like 20 times, it would finally mercifully just go away. You remember that? Yeah, I finished that one and it was a little bit more flat. I was the, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas Dark Souls One and Bloodborne are definitely very intricate and like a lot yeah. of shortcuts like a and all box that or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you'd flip a switch and you'd find a hidden gate and be like, "Oh wow, I'm back here." That that'll save me so much time getting around. And two was a lot more spread out. And I, I agree, it's a, as an on ramp, it makes a little more sense because you it feels like you have a little bit more space to work within. Um, it felt a little odd going from one to two, but if if you hadn't played any of them two i feel like eases you into it except for the 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 health bar like permanently dropping (laughs) if you die uh i think there's a ring you find early on that negates this but i feel like early on there's a thing that just like if you die your health bar permanently decreases and you have to like use a humanity to get it back and i was like that's not good for new players Uh uh-oh yeah none of it is it's not it's not for that you know what i mean um It's all there yeah. in a I feel like all of that stuff is there to teach you to be careful and to pay attention. And yeah, and those once you figure it all out, me, it's easy. It's easy. Yeah, it, it's, 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 a, it's a visual vocabulary. Once you figure it out, you're like, 
okay, now I get it. And I agree. It's very easy to jump in and be frustrated, but once they click, they are, they are beautiful. Yeah, they're fantastic. And Dark Souls 2, like that is the one to like, if you just can't crack the code, I, I would recommend you try Dark Souls 2. Um, I've, I've said this before. I'm, I'm, I'm reusing old material here. But uh, real quick, I'm going to sound off on another couple games that really stood out to me. Resident Evil Village. Um, loved this. Had no idea what I was looking at uh, during the PS5 showcase. And I'm like, this game looks crazy. Like, what is this? Is this like... I remember thinking, like, is this like Until Dawn or something? Like, the graphics were really detailed and, like, the character models looked really awesome. And, and I just was like... I, it didn't occur to me until the very end when they do that title treatment that this could be a Resident Evil game. It really was wild. Yeah. Um, I saw uh, amidst all the quick flashes, I saw an umbrella logo and I was like, ah, there we go. I saw that on the second viewing, but I did not catch it on the first one. So, yeah, that would that would have been a definite uh, sign. But I love what they've been doing with Resident Evil lately. Just really getting back to those horror roots, horror roots and, and, and yeah. kind of. Um, you know, I, you know, it looks like it might be first person. I think, I think they've confirmed that, but, um, it, it just looks great. And I love, you know, the fact that they're just getting crazy with like the environments and kind of the world that they're building. Um, I mean, I just got done, you know, playing Resident Evil three and Resident Evil two had been awesome before that. And that's sort of the more classic Resident Evil style, but I love seeing these sort of far flung locales and, and just these crazy environments and, and the world that they build like this, this resident evil evil world just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, I mean, it really yeah. is. Remarkable. And seven, uh, RE seven was like, did such a good job of being claustrophobic and, and scary with these enclosed environments. And then village by all accounts from the trailer seems to be a lot more open and, you know, what, what is this kind of game, the way yeah, seven definitely played, like, how does that apply um, to a big open a, space? It's, it's kind of like out in the wilderness, you're out running around. Um, so yeah, pretty excited to see more from that one. Um, just moving on here. Another one that I think a lot of people have been talking about. I think Brett was having some audio difficulties there was, uh, bug snacks. Um, yeah. so bug snacks, uh, is from young horses. These are the folks that did Octo dad, dadliest catch. Uh, it's the theme song that just won't quit. Um, (laughs) and just a, I'll tell you, honestly, if I'm honest with myself, I think I watched the bug snacks trailer more than any other trail from that, from that press conference. Um, there's just something so, so weird about it and so quirky. And, uh, I, I just loved it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was infectious for sure. Anything on your side, like any other games that sort of stood out to you that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, I mean, Without a doubt, I mean, Horizon Forbidden West stood out. Um, <laughs> no surprise there, but like I love the original. That's that game is what got me to finally upgrade my TV. It was you know three years ago now, but that's what got me into the 4K HDR world was Horizon. Um, when I heard uh, Horizon and Monster Hunter World were going to support these things, I'm like, or you know, um, HDR. What is it? High dynamic range? Yeah. Uh, I was like, all right, got a new TV. So. T- ended up platinuming it and was just totally enveloped in that world. So I am definitely ready to see more of that. Uh, can't wait to see more footage and gameplay as the years go on. Uh, and then uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I It was oh, just yeah. so colorful, hectic, kinetic, like so much energy going on. And I hadn't, it made me realize like I hadn't played one since the PS2 days. And I think the trilogy on PS2 with like up your arsenal and going commando. And then my career path kind of put me on like a different trajectory 
where I was still playing PlayStation games, uh, you know, at home, but it wasn't my, my job wasn't covering them necessarily. Um, unless they were ace combat and then they're like, Brett, the airplane guy, you got it. Um, but it made me realize like, you know, it's been a minute since I played a ratchet and clank and then seeing just how much cool, just imaginative worlds and all these new abilities. It just was like, you know what? Uh, I'm ready for this. I, 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 uh, just a fun cool game with w- undoubtedly what will be a bunch of cool weapons and creative use of the hardware and controller like that's just going to be exciting so looking forward yeah. to that that was a standout for me i had chills going down my spine and i thought that was a really good choice to have as like one of the first titles in the show uh and the guys at insomniac are awesome um that wasn't the only game they had um but it was uh i think the one that just sort of left me sort of speechless because um you know, they're, uh, it, it, it looks like it's really just taking great use of the hardware and it's super, super colorful. So, um, a couple others that jumped out at me, I think solar ash looks awesome. I actually want to get a, I, the universe there is so cosmic and trippy and yeah. kind of vaguely sinister. Um, I really want to see more of that. I was really excited to see Housemark is back, uh, with Returnal. Um, looks like it's they're a great name. kind of, yeah, it's a really cool name and it's, it, it looks like it maybe kind of has this live die repeat edge of tomorrow kind of like you know you die you come back and things are different and you die again you come back things are different uh but it's also like i think notable because housemark is you know at least for the last five ten years primarily been known for sort of you know twin stick shooters or uh things of that ilk uh more arcade type uh gameplay which and they do it better than anybody but uh returnal looks like it's third person shooter third person action to me so uh really excited to see what uh housemark is cooking up with that one yeah. And I think uh, continuing with the like weird, sinister kind of world you're in, uh, the other Capcom title, Pragmata or Pragmata, <laughs> um, just, yeah, this strange, you know, astronaut walking through Times Square with uh, a little girl and a holographic cat or something, some kind of robotic hologram or something going on. And then uh, just a weird, trippy all gravity disappears or something. And then uh, logo and um Obviously, new IP from Capcom. It's been it's been a while uh, since a brand new, like totally new IP. So that's exciting to see what they're gonna what they're gonna build. Because I mean, obviously, I worked at Capcom for many years, so uh, take take the grain of salt with my glowing praise. But I mean, uh, the worlds that Capcom creates are very enduring, and almost any franchise that gets off the ground, like I mean, we do, we just talked about Resident Evil Village. So I mean, they're still every time they create a new world, it's something you got to keep your eyes out for. So I I'm intrigued by what they've started there and I'm very eager to see more. It is a bit a ways out as they mentioned in the, in the trailer, like it's still got a ways to go till it comes out, but I'm excited to see where it goes. And then in keeping uh, with the cat theme, the holographic robot cat or whatever <laughs> that was, then you get into actual cats in the game stray, which was a nice um, surprise as well. Just uh, I know bug snacks kind of took, everybody's by surprise but then also just seeing this cat you know strut around in this cool like robot city with all the you know the classic you know pink and blue lighting that you'd expect from like a neo-noir city um and then here's a cat doing cat stuff so give me the cat game yeah definitely that was a uh that was kind of a sleeper hit coming out of the show uh you know we run playstation social uh media channels like twitter and instagram and whatnot but uh, that one was getting a very big response. Stray. Yeah. Uh, you know, we also got a, a new look at the Pathless, uh, which is from Giant Squid. They did uh, 
Abzu and there's some uh, some veterans that worked on Journey back in the day. So the Pathless is coming to PS5. That one looks really cool. Really interested in that. Uh, GT7, Gran Turismo's back, looking spectacular. I mean, it was kind of like alarmingly detailed. I was it, it, when that one came up on the feed, like my eyes were like, wow, you know, like this this game looks incredibly detailed, and you know that's what Polyphony is known for is just that insane realism, yeah, uh, fanatical attention to detail, uh, including around uh, camera optics and lighting and all of that. They're they're just known for it. Um, uh, right before we started the call, Brett and I were actually talking about the original Gran Turismo, which you which you never played, Brett, and I'm offended. Um, <laughs> I did rent it. That, um. You rented it. Okay, good. Uh, well, I bought it with a DualShock controller. Uh, they kind of, they came out around the same time, uh, so you could feel that sweet purr of uh, whatever car it was, your the engine of whatever car you're driving. Uh, but yeah, that game, the original Gran Turismo was doing things on the original PlayStation hardware that were not very common, like real time reflections on the glass uh, of the cars. I mean, there were a few others that were doing stuff like that, but, but Polyphony took it to a different level. They had like the crazy camera zooms and like the virtual camera lens. Um, and, and, and that sort of tradition continues today. And I thought Gran Turismo seven looked sensational. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, all in all, I think a, uh, a good showing. I mean, clearly, I think people liked it. Um, clearly, not everything's been put on the table. There's still more to come, but I think it was a really nice uh, kickoff, and uh, you know, just just a, a good time had by all. What do you think, Brad? <laughs> no, it really was, and I I had a great time watching it, um, and you know, watching it along with people online, and just you know, there were so many. To me, just, you know, like you said, eye popping things of, you know, GT7 looks incredible. A Demon Souls, a remake people have wanted for years. I think people had fingers crossed for another horizon and then it looks incredible. So I, I thought it was a great show and uh, just really got me excited for what's still to come because, I mean, it's only June. Yes, indeed. Um, so I think. Unfortunately, there's a meeting I forgot that I'm supposed to take uh, with some <laughs> folks over in Japan. So we'll leave it there. But we do have an interview uh, that our own Tim Turry and Brett, who you've been hearing from here today on the official PlayStation podcast. Uh, they did this interview with uh, what's the name of this game again? Dis- Disintegration. So uh, you talked to Marcus Leto. Uh, give me give me a little sales pitch before we we head off to, uh, today, Brett. Yeah, we uh, Tim and I met with uh, Marcus earlier this week and talked to him about uh, Disintegration, which comes out or it's out now PS4. Um, interesting, uh, like FPS with RTS, uh, you know, real time strategy mixed in there, where you're piloting a grab cycle and flying around a map while also directing these units around to kind of achieve objectives, take out enemies. Um, so there's you know, it's an interesting game with a lot going on and an interesting sci fi world where people get to download or basically transplant their human brains into robotic bodies. And what is, you know, what does that do to society? Turns out it makes us want to go get in grab cycles and fly around, which I'm not against. Um, They sound pretty (laughs) fun to me. Uh, But yeah, we just talked about the game and the world and some of the gameplay uh, with Marcus. So uh, hope you all enjoy and uh, check out the game. All right. Well, uh, let's listen to that and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.
All right. You got Brett and Tim here, and we are so pleased to be joined by Marcus Lido, who is the um, president of V1 Interactive and game director on Disintegration, which just launched this week. Uh, Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, guys. It's my uh, pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So congrats on the launch of Disintegration. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's super exciting. And, and you know, I just wanted to give you an opportunity um, to kind to of, you know, if if folks are listening to the PlayStation podcast and aren't totally familiar with, you know, your your very storied history uh, in the industry, I was wondering if you might just kind of start off before we dive into disintegration, just talking about kind of your background and what, what led you to disintegration. Uh-huh. It's a good question. Yeah, because um, I had spent many a year uh, building the Halo franchise uh, while yeah. at Bungie. Um, and, you know, after about 16 years of being there, I decided to... Um, uh, it's trying to break off and do something completely new again. Uh, get back to the basics of building games with a small team. Um, but I took my time um, to think about what I wanted to do next uh, and cook up some uh, uh, game ideas um, that ranged every, everywhere from small mobile games to giant AAA games and from fantasy to sci-fi and um, kind of uh, continued to uh, harken back to this one concept that had been brewing for some time. Um, but I felt like it was, uh, it was a really interesting idea that uh, kept capturing my imagination. And I decided to start to form a prototype around that idea. And uh, that ultimately led to the creation of my new studio, V1 Interactive, based uh, in Redmond, uh, Washington, not too far from Seattle. And um, and, um, I was able to hire in quite a few of my old friends from Bungie, as well as brand new talent right out of school. And so we're a small studio. We're an indie studio, still only 30 people now, just as of this last year, as a matter of fact. Um, And we've been working on this game for quite some time. Um, but I'm real excited about uh, what we finally were able to uh, get out there in the public with our launch today and uh, to see people playing online and having an awesome time. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, and congrats again to, to you and the team for that. And, you, you know, you, you mentioned sort of um, having had this idea for a while. And I'm, I'm curious where, if, if roughly you can offer insight into when the earliest, you know, kernels of an idea for disintegration started, you know, bouncing around in your head and, and, um, you know, yeah, what that, what that concept even looked like at its earliest stage Mm -hmm. when you were kind of dreaming it up. So I, I actually start with the fiction, um, and that, that began over six years ago. Um, this was soon after I had left Bungie and, um, was cooking up some of those game ideas. Uh, the fiction for this universe was something that, um, I was really just inspired by some of the things that um, I, are, are easily recognizable right right around us on our in our everyday living, like our reliance on technology, um, our ever increasing reliance on it, as well as then yeah. things that are happening out and around the world um, with regards to climate extremes and uh, and political issues and how those things all combined, if taken to some extreme uh, endpoint uh, in the future, might actually be a plausible uh, foundation for a new universe. And it was really just through these kind of things that um, 
that I, I, I kept writing the, the fiction, the back fiction for the story and continued to just make uh, that uh, a stronger foundation that all of these other things started to grow from as a result, uh, as such as some of the characters and what happens with our characters within the story of disintegration. Um, so a lot of that was all just fiction that uh, began in its earliest stages. Then That's later awesome. on, uh, we really, uh, uh, when we got into the prototype, um, that's that's really when I started thinking about some of the gore, uh, the the very core gameplay mechanics and what it might mean. I mean, it literally started out as um, as just just a straightforward RTS type game. Um, that uh, it. It was really neat, and we we actually really did enjoy playing it. But I recognized early on that it just—I don't think it was going to be something that uh, would stand out in, uh, in the crowd of other games like it. So that's when we decided to take a very big risk and do something uh, completely different by combining a first-person shooter with this RTS game. Uh, and really change focus entirely on how the game was going to play, what the flow was going to be like, what that core gameplay loop was going to feel like as well. And so that led to some incredible discoveries along the way that um, took a lot of time to figure out and get right. But uh, I, well, we're really excited about what we had landed on as something that felt really completely new and different. Yeah, it's a really fresh combo. Yeah, and I really liked. Um, I was playing the game uh, over the weekend, and I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I think just to get into the story a little bit, how it's you know we download essentially our consciousness or our brains, uh, into literally like our robot. brain. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, it's yes, like the biological yeah. brain inside like a Correct. robot body. Yeah, um, and I've I've always been fascinated with that idea in science fiction, where like certain novels and things where you know that's what makes you you. And so if you move your brain around, like could you theoretically be immortal? And that's a fun idea to explore in this, mm-hmm. in this kind of future you've laid out. And also um, one small touch, and I, I couldn't tell how I felt about it at first, but actually in the end, I think I'm like, Oh, I really like this touch where, and I'm sure you have a perspective on this obviously, but like um, a lot of the characters obviously are in these mechanical bodies, but they still have a lot of human uh, like, Tr- uh, not traits but like uh gestures like they'll you know mm-hmm. that, that kind of absent-minded like put your hand on your neck to kind of wring out your neck or mm-hmm. little things that it's like does the robot does this mechanical body need to do that maybe not but it's just so ingrained in your behavior as a biological creature that i don't know just when you move your brain to a machine like would you still do those things just kind of yeah. almost absent-mindedly and it was just one of those weird things that made me think about the characters and the world they're in yeah, that uh, was all very conscious as far as how we wanted to portray our characters in the world, because as you had mentioned earlier, uh, due to the due to the extreme circumstances under which humanity is living in this future, which takes place about 150 years from now, um, uh, global climate extremes, f- food shortages, a pandemic that uh, I wish we could have predicted uh, when we wrote the fiction for it uh, six years ago. And other things like that that are really stressing humanity to the point where survival to get through this period of time meant doing taking extreme measures. And one of those extreme measures 
was integrating the human brain into a uh, uh, like an armored can, basically. We call them brain cans. And that can <laughs> is then lit- uh, connected to a robotic armature. And it's in this process that the player, uh, the, the individuals who are being integrated, actually have this, uh, this choice to make of you know, who, how they want to portray themselves in this new robotic uh, body. And uh, do they want it to be a humanoid form um, that's very familiar so they can reduce the, uh, the shock value of, of going through this traumatic experience? Um, or once they're comfortable in that body, do they want to upgrade and change to something else? Um, when they're making this transformation as well, do they want to change their identities as, uh, as to who they were and become someone new, change their voice, uh, which they can choose upon the integration process, even change their identity or their gender if they wish? Um, this is one of the things we play with with some of the characters, which is a really interesting meta that gets deeper into who they are as individuals. And then it's important that the characters themselves that we play along with, um, they, they play a vital role uh, with those who had been integrated uh, in the early stages. They're all still like normal people in these integrated robotic bodies, but they still hold on to the human affectations of who they used to be. And their goal is to ultimately, uh, once a solution is found, uh, be reintegrated with an, a normal human clone body of themselves. And so they hold on to and really cherish the human inside of them. And uh, so they'll not only uh, they'll act the way they used to act as a normal human, um, full of all the weird idiosyncrasies uh, that, uh, that people do, you know, in their normal life, as well as, you know, holding on to things that um, were dear to them, like uh, uh, jewelry or, uh, or other tokens that, uh, that they used to, um, you know, like have some kind of connection to as a normal human. They'll even wear clothing, you know, because it makes them feel a little bit more human. And so those are all real important parts of uh, the individual characters that we play along with. And then in contrast to that, uh, we have those who integrated and never want to become human again. They stratified and broke away um, early on in the integration phases and, and formed a new group called the Rayon. And the Rayon ultimately became a, a very organized and um, formidable army. And they uh, began to enforce integration uh, against people's will uh, around the planet. And when they were doing so, they were also highly modifying those individuals to the point where they lost their humanity in the process. There's still human brains inside there, but they've been so heavily modified that they're irretrievable as normal humans anymore. And uh, it's these rayon soldiers now and the, and the rayon army that is on a post-humanistic trajectory that is very dangerous to the remaining natural humans left on Earth. And it's our group of integrated who broke away, who are now hunted and outlawed by the rayon, uh, who are fighting for what remains of those natural humans on Earth. That's, That's great. Cool. It's, it's, a, it's such a juicy a, concept. Yeah, it's a it great took a, backdrop. 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, we had a great time uh, playing around with it, and it really did lead to some great fertile ground when it comes to how our characters interact with one another throughout uh, the single-player campaign. Um, even led into, you know, like a fictional underpinning as, uh, as to why the crews exist in our multiplayer game. So it's uh, so all of it's tied together in a way that's uh, plausible than within the universe. Yeah, that was actually that actually leads into a question I had, which is like one of my favorite things that stood out to me as early as when I checked out the beta was the crews and just the um, the really colorful personality that came through within them. And so, you know, kind of hearing it straight from you, it, it makes sense that, you know, these these are, you know, creatures or I guess beings that are expressing their their humanity through how they dress and you know wearing clothes and and then you know who they hang out with and and how they kind of express themselves as a crew thought was a really striking and fun concept um I was curious if you if you had a crew that you personally really felt attached to and and really liked um more than the others (laughs) Um, yeah, each one of those crews, I, we, we like to joke that they're kind of like futuristic motorcycle gangs or, <laughs> or just uh, even just, uh, you know, groups of individuals who, you know, have something uh, in common together that they really love. Like it could be a chess club or a bowling club or whatever, that kind of thing. And, and so they, they, they gather together and they, you know, have a theme that, uh, com- that bonds them together as this uh, as this unit the this this crew of the pilot the grab cycle and those ground those ground units along with them um so um as we continued developing the crews uh each one of them with a different theme and a different um <clears throat> a role in combat um a loose role in combat so the players then have you know a variety of different um approaches when it comes to multiplayer matches. So if if they want to play the heavy up front, they can choose Warheads that's just this beefy tank uh, of a grab cycle in the sky that's going to take a serious amount of damage, as well as uh, it's got it's equipped with uh, some incredible weaponry to clear ground units uh, in addition to its own ground units that can just smash the heck out of uh, other uh, enemy ground units. Um, or you can play... Uh, one of the lights uh, uh, graph cycles um, that is more of a support role, like Technoir, that can hang back, uh, uh, like snipe enemies from a distance with a marksman rifle, and then heal the uh, uh, other friendly units on on its team. Um, so that that's a great role, and that's actually one of my favorite uh, crews to play, as uh, because I really do enjoy being there to help support my team um, because. It's really important when we get set up in a multiplayer match with 5v5 that your your crew comps uh, with your particular team are actually thought out um, fairly well. It's always really helpful to have uh, someone play in tech um, just to keep things uh, um, like motoring along with regards to the heels and everything else that uh, is required to support the other team members. Well, and they got a great aesthetic, so that helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one to play with. And yeah, uh, as you described the the importance of choosing your crew layout uh, for multiplayer matches, you allude to the uh, the actual core gameplay, which is um, boarding a grab cycle, which is this vehicle that kind of you know always hovers to a certain degree above the ground, and you move in a you know it's not like you're tethered to the ground in a, in a FPS style game. You're actually like pretty mobile and can 
scoot around on all the axes, uh, and then you direct these other ground troops, like go over here, go over here, attack this, focus on that. So I'm curious a little bit about the how you arrived at that, because it, it's, it's an interesting hybrid where you've got on one level, like an FPS style, like, okay, I recognize this. There's a large gun, there's a reticle. Mm-hmm. I understand this, it's a shooter, but also I need to be thinking about these teammates and where they're going and how I'm directing them and how you married those two genres together and any challenges um, that as you started to fuse these together, if you're like, okay, this is actually an interesting challenge or an opportunity that I see by mixing these genres together. Yeah. Initially when we turned that camera in the sky into a hovering vehicle that we now call a grab cycle, the challenges were numerous. And uh, while we knew initially that uh, we were onto something that I think was going to, uh, I mean, it definitely got us all real excited and we knew that it was going to lead to um, a, a, a very unique kind of game. We were um, initially very worried, you know, about how we were going to solve uh, many of the numerous problems that lay ahead of us. And, and some of the biggest issues there were really with regards to, um, you know, the complexity of, managing those ground units and how we were going to handle that. Um, because of traditional RTS, you're micromanaging every little move, every individual and who they attack, where they're facing, what kind of things they're going to do. Uh, so for us, when it came to us marrying this first-person shooter mechanic um, uh, and giving uh, the, the player now the agency to be engaged with combat on the ground and be re- uh, re- uh, also receive uh, enemy fire so they can be blown out of the sky. Um, so making them an active participant in combat was a really fun thing uh, for us to initially play with, you know, giving the player omnidirectional movement through the environment, allowing them to boost around to evade enemy fire felt very ex- exhilarating. Um, the hard problems were really solving then how we handle those ground units and how we uh, were going to tackle um, making that consumable to the player where it didn't overwhelm them. Uh, so we went through many iteration phases on this uh, and ultimately landed on um, something we call a command pulse, allowing you to just literally fire from your, your grab cycle down onto the ground a pulse that informs your crew to move to a certain location. And when they do that, they will take up more autonomous behavior to to either engage with enemies nearby or take up positions of cover uh, to uh, uh, preserve their own uh, safety uh, in those locations. You can even um, pulse directly on enemy units to priority target them. Uh, and then it's also necessary to use the pulses to uh, direct them to interact with things in the world, such as objectives or salvage that you can pick up. Uh, the salvage then is used to uh, level up and increase uh, your unit capabilities um, between missions. So um, there were numerous problems to solve. Ultimately, uh, we finally landed on this kind of uh, sweet marriage between the two that uh, is very deliberate as far as the speed of the grav cycle, the speed of the ground units, and how they work together in concert as a singular unit. And uh, the first thing I always ask a new player to the game to do is just forget about everything they think they know about a first-person shooter and, and how this game should work. Because if they go in just trying to play it, 
like a typical first-person shooter, like they're used to, uh, they're going to be playing with one hand tied behind their back. The way they need to think about it is the grav cycle and your onboard weapons and abilities are just one part of the equation. Uh, your ground units are kind of like, uh, imagine them uh, like a grenade in a first-person shooter. Um, they are your left hand. They are such an important component uh, to your success throughout uh, the campaign and the multiplayer. And uh, understanding how to use them tactically is something that takes time. And once that clicks and once that mechanic really grabs uh, the player, then they can be absolutely devastating in both campaign and multiplayer. And that's always fun to watch that, that transition occur. Yeah, there were definitely moments uh, when I was playing where it's, like you said, it, you could think of the units as your grenades or like an alternate weapon, um, but mm-hmm. it, it, there's more to it than just like go here and then they attack because each of these units have their own special abilities, like a slow kind of stasis field. And then you can stack that with, hey, now they're slowed down, throw grenades in there, throw some mortar fire. And now this this big enemy unit that when I see it coming at me, I'm like, oh, man, here we go. Uh, so, oh, I tore it up really quick because I was paying attention to what my team can do and the abilities they have, um, paying attention to their cooldowns. Um, like you said, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot going on, but uh, it's just more to it's more versatile. I feel um, when you have all that range of movement because you're not just moving on the ground. It, it reminded me a little bit of some of the the 90s. There were um, almost like a subgenre of spaceship shooter games where you could move uh in all kinds of directions yeah, like and, and, uh, and those kind of games yeah yeah definitely um but yeah taking that and then adding like a little small army that you get to move around is definitely like that's a, a, a new take on it yeah and uh to to the point on this on the tactical side with the unit abilities um those are those are such a critical component to the success of a, of any player. Uh, like once they understand how to, for instance, use a uh, a concussion grenade from one of their warriors uh, to hit an enemy, and uh, which creates an AOE effect around that enemy and can affect other enemies nearby, where it's it puts them into a stun state, and when they're in that state, they take critical damage. So when they're taking crit damage, you can also use one of your rangers to fire a slow field on the same set of enemies, which will just slow time down within that uh, area of effect, allowing that uh, that whole crit uh, damage uh, effect to continue on for an extended period of time. So it's those kind of things. You can use that against enemy grab cycles and multiplayer. Uh, you can use uh, you can use combinations of abilities in ways that really create a much uh, more uh, like a like a, a meta that just has such depth to it, um, especially when team members in multiplayer combine their usages together. Uh, there are, are some fantastic things that happen there. Then, as a result, yeah, that's awesome. And something that you know, folks are going to be able to dive into this week as they they get more familiar with with disintegration. Uh, Marcus, before we um, say goodbye, I wanted to see if there's anything um, you wanted to add um, in terms of you know anything regarding you know what post-launch looks like for the game or or anything before we uh, oh, sure, yeah. say goodbye um so yeah we are already working on brand new maps new modes new crews new skins new emotes and other kind of cool stuff that you can use to express yourself in multiplayer 
Uh, all of the new maps, modes, and crews are going to be free because we want to make sure that uh, we keep the, our community together and uh, uh, we don't want to uh, splinter or fracture them by any means. Um, and that uh, we will be uh, releasing those periodically over the course of the next year to keep that ecosystem healthy. Um, and really, when it comes to playing the game, um, I all I ask uh, again was just to like hold aside your preconceptions of what a first-person shooter is and uh, hop into dis to uh, disintegration with an open mind um, and really look at it for what it is, because it is a very different game uh, from what uh, I think you're used to. So um, once you uh, once you kind of absorb yourself into it, I think you'll really appreciate uh, it as something completely unique. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, so yeah, you know, if anyone listening now, Disintegration is available on PlayStation 4 as we speak. Uh, Marcus, congratulations again to you and the team, you know, uh, for the for the big game launch. It's a huge accomplishment. And, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It was really fun talking to you. Take care. <laughs>